This episode of the Art of Manliness podcast is brought to you in part by Progressive Insurance, where customers can save an average of over $750 when they switch and save. Visit Progressive.com to get your car insurance quote. It only takes about seven minutes. National annual average auto insurance savings by new customers surveyed in 2019. Potential savings will vary. Check it out, Progressive.com. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. Now, I used to wake up early, around 5.15, and do my workout right after getting out of bed. But I noticed I was tired all day, and I just felt kind of stiff and not very strong during my workouts. So, I decided to try waking up a few hours later, 7.15, and doing my workouts in the late afternoon instead. I found that setting up my schedule this way gave me greater energy both overall and during my workouts. Well, my guest today says that this tinkering I did with my routine is an example of life prototyping, a process that can be used for anything and everything in order to improve both your personal and professional life. His name is Dave Evans and as a lecturer in Stanford's design program, he teaches the popular Designing Your Life course, which, as the name implies, takes the principles of design thinking and applies them to crafting a happy and fulfilling life. He's also the co-author, along with Bill Burnett, of Designing Your Life and Designing Your New Work Life. Today on the show, Dave explains how one of the central steps of design thinking, called prototyping, can help you make both big and small changes that move you closer to the life you want to lead. He explains what prototyping is, how prototyping a life is different from prototyping a product, the two approaches involved with the former, and embracing the design thinking mindset of being immune to failure. After the show's over, check out our show notes at aom.is slash prototype life. All right, Dave Evans, welcome to the show. Great to be here, Brett. Thanks for having me. So you are a lecturer at Stanford's design program. For those who aren't familiar with design thinking, because this is what you teach, big picture, what is design thinking and what is it that your graduates of your program, what do they go on to do? Sure. The Stanford Design Program is the eldest interdisciplinary program at the university. It started in 1963, actually, been the lunatic fringe for a long time, integrating you know, engineering, psychology, and art in a thing we call human-centered design. That's the formal term of what we teach at the design program, nowadays known as design thinking. It's a new name for an older idea. And you can, in fact, get either a, uh, a BS in engineering in design, or you can get an MS or MA in design from the Stanford Design Program, which is technically located inside the mechanical engineering department of the School of Engineering. So design thinking or human-centered design is one of the methodologies for innovation and problem solving that we teach at the Stanford School of Engineering. So that's the elevator description. And what do you do if you get a design degree from Stanford? Well, you do a whole bunch of different things. The key thing to understand here is there are, as I put it, two schools or two domains of design in the world. And they're both totally legitimate, but they're quite different. There's what I call craft design. So I'm a graphic designer. I'm an industrial designer. You know, I'm a car designer. You know, I shape things, I color things, I draw things. And that's the older design world by far. And, re- you know, those real designers would look at the stuff we do at Stanford County. Ah, that's not design. You know, you can get a master's in design at Stanford and still not be able to draw that well. You know, and a real designer, you know, an old school designer might say, no, 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 that's all wrong. Because our design is not a craft per se, it's a methodology. So we think a different kind of way. That's why the name got moved over to design thinking. It's not design crafting or drawing or shaping, it's design thinking. And we take an approach to problem solving. And it's a methodology that's been developed quite thoroughly over the last 50 plus years. 
And it really has been sort of the cardiopulmonary system of an awful lot of product development here in Silicon Valley that's changed the world. And that's sort of where design thinking got like super popular in the last 10, 15 years. So what you do with that design degree is you can go be a product designer. You can be a, a, a user experience designer. You, you be product management. You know, a lot of people go into the product world. Increasingly, people even go into consulting. You know, design is now being used in educational design and social systems design and you know large social impact design. So design thinking can actually apply almost anywhere. There, you know, IBM is one of the largest design thinking certified institutions on the planet. They do all kinds of things. Oh, so the idea is you find a problem and you apply this this process, this multidisciplinary, to solve yep. that problem. Exactly. Gotcha. And in particular, before you actually you, you do two things, you apply this interdisciplinary process first to find the right problem to solve, mm. then to define exactly which part of it you're going to uniquely solve, and then to come up with the ideas for actually pulling that off. So we talk about problem finding preceding problem solving. Half the time stuff doesn't work because you're working on the wrong thing. I mean, the steps of design are very simply five steps, empathy, definition, ideation, prototyping, and test. We start with deeply understanding what's going on. The first question isn't, what do I do? The first question is, what's happening? Very different question. And then we define, well, what that's happening here might I have something to offer to? You know, you don't presuppose you even can have a solution. That's that's being a little imperial. And so then if there is something and, and the elements of a definition include a user, an insight, and a problem. So who am I serving? What's the real problem that deserves to be addressed? And do I have any insight to contribute to that in a unique way? If I don't have all three of those things, I haven't defined anything yet. And then I start having a bunch of ideas. And the core thing is prototyping. The problems we solve are called wicked problems, not tame problems. We've got a tame, well-bounded, highly defined problem you can solve replicatably over and over again. That's probably an engineering problem. You need some equations and some charts. If you've got a messy human problem where you don't know what you're looking for until you find it, then you probably need to design your way forward. And the only way to do that is empirically with these hands-on prototypes where you try stuff over and over again until you find the thing that really works. Okay, so let's talk about how we can start applying design thinking to our own lives and big picture. Because this is a course that takes several weeks to get through. I mean, you wrote an entire book and another book about it, about your work yep. life. So hopefully we can give people a big picture. And you, you, you make the case that when you start off, you need to kind of have an idea of where you are now. I think you, you have that famous, there's a sign at the design program that says, you are here. Like, know where you're at right now and, and kind of come up with some metrics so you can know where you're going. And then you recommend people, your students, to come up with like a, with a dashboard that there's some criteria you're checking and that there's like four, I guess we'll call them analytics that you're checking on this dashboard. What are those analytics and how do you figure out where you are right now with that stuff? Actually, the first thing we say you need to do is, is to accept that you are wherever it is that you are. You may not know where it is you are, but you got to accept that that is where you are. So the, the sign, the, there's a you are here sign, you know, that looks like one of those locators in an airport. Uh, great big four-foot diameter one that's hanging on the wall outside the lab where our grad students hang out. As a reminder, you have to start there. And on our books, if you take the just the dust jacket off on the hardcover book, you'll see a you are here symbol stamped into the cover just to make sure that the reader knows, no, 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 you have you um the way I put it is step zero of the design process, you know, empathy. Definition, ideation, prototyping, test. Step zero, the sixth step, is acceptance. You start by accepting you are wherever it is you are. Because most people don't. Like, I really should be somewhere else. And 
Depending on yourself doesn't help at all. So you have to get over that. And wherever it is you are, that is where you are. Now let's go figure out where that is and start moving from there. So thing one is to accept that things simply are the way they are. Design only works in reality. It doesn't work in magical thinking, and it doesn't work in the land of should. You know, we want shit on you. We don't recommend you shit on yourself either. So thing one is acceptance. And then thing two is where am I? And so the dashboard and also a thing called the Good Time Journal. So the dashboard is our reframe of the balance problem because one of the shoulds that people get stuck in really quickly is the work-life balance problem. And this is true of students, true of almost everybody. Oh, my work-life balance, I got to go fix that. Well, when your brain has the opportunity to define a complex problem by oversimplifying it and it just two opposing forces, your brain will turn it into a teeter-totter, a zero-sum game. So work goes up, life goes down. Life goes up, work goes down. My work-life balance, you know, is a zero-sum game. And that's not true of most things. That's an oversimplification. And that binary thinking is really dangerous. It's dysfunctional, we would call it. So the first point of our dashboard, the work-love-play-health dashboard, is that you aren't just two things. So when you need to simplify something to make it manageable, right? As Einstein said, all metaphors are wrong. Some metaphors are helpful. So we're trying to take an unhelpful metaphor, work-life trade-off, and make it a more helpful metaphor, which is the work-love-play-health metaphor, which is, again, a hyper-simplification of the complexity of the human adventure. But it's not bad, you know, and it fits on a page. So look at those things, and the first thing is recognize that all four of them defined according to you. What does work mean to you? is not just about money. What does love mean to you? It's in all of its various forms. You know, from intimacy to friendship, you know, what does play mean where I'm there for the, for the joy of it, you know, and health, I mean, which is physical and social and spiritual. And so these are rich definitions that you can monkey with. So it's a very user defined reality. We just give you a container to get better in and then recognize when you move one of the sliders up or down a little more, a little less of something, you don't have to move all the other ones too. They're not in lockstep. There's not like only a hundred points of your aliveness. And as soon as you take one away from work and put it on play, you know, you have to decrement something. It doesn't work like that. So we, we do that, that four attribute dashboard just as a way of trying to look at a whole life. I'm not just designing my job. So we've got to get more than work going on. So that's why the dashboard is there. And then the other thing, even preceding the dashboard, by the way, is what we call the good time journal. And the good time journal is a way to just log what you're doing, the activities of your day, and then notice at the end of the day, where was I engaged or disengaged at what level, you know, and, and uh, what level of energy is this giving or taking from me? And I mean, are you physically tired, but are you, you know, is your aliveness increased or your aliveness depleted at the end of, you know, talking to Brett on a podcast? And, and by the way, I love doing this stuff. So that's where we help people and say, don't, don't change anything. Just track yourself. Just be empathetic and watch yourself. So you start with accepting it is what it is. Then you take the what it is and you observe it well. And then you redefine your self-assessment, you know, with a little more complex model than a, an oversimplifying dysfunctional model, you know, and those, with those good time journal and dashboard tools. And now you're in a good place to start. Okay. And then, so you, you got this information, this big picture overview, Yeah, you can start, maybe kind of start seeing, not maybe not granularly, but you start seeing the shape of, well, maybe there's a problem here. You start seeing problems. Now, this is where, you, where design thinking starts coming in. As you said earlier, part of it is using a thinking process to make sure you're solving the right problem. Right. So well, let's apply design thinking. How do we define problems using design thinking? So we're looking at our dashboard, got our work, love, health, play all there. We're like, okay, 
what's the, where, where do I see the problem? How do I figure out my problems? Right. Okay. And first of all, there are two pretty different kinds of things going on in the work that we do. We, and we will definitely say that our work is not a system. You know, it's not, here's a 17-step system, and you start at step one, and you finish at step 17, and then you will have an epiphany, and your life is great, and we're good to go. You know, it's not anywhere near that prescriptive. We don't think people are that homogenous. I mean, they're similar enough that we can use these tools, but by no means do I know what you need to be doing. So first of all, we're not systematic. We're coherent, but we're a toolkit. You know, it's barely a methodology. It certainly isn't a system. And you don't have to start at the beginning and end at the end. You can start in the middle. So that being said, first of all, am I trying to make a small incremental change in my life? You know, I mean, you know, designing like how, to, how to build the well-lived and joyful life. Well, is that a minor adjustment or is that a wholesale renewal? So a bunch of people are at an inflection point in life. You know, I'm coming out of college or I'm really done with this first job or I'm, you know, I teach in the thing a really cool program now, my primary teaching at Stanford is a a program called the DCI, the Distinguished Career Institute. Sounds very snazzy. Um, It's the gap year for grownups. Mostly, I mean, the range is 45 to 85. Most of the people in there are in their late 50s to late 60s, you know, know, uh, on the way into what we used to call retirement or your encore phase, your third, third, something like that. And they take a year off for which Stanford charges them a ton, but that's Stanford. And they get to, you know, be in this cool community and think deeply about what am I going to do with the rest of my life? And and so this question, and so they're definitely doing life design, right? Now that's a that's the big redesign of life for a change. And there's the little adjustment along the way. So if I'm doing, let's start with a smaller adjustment along the way. Well, I just wrote an article we posted yesterday on LinkedIn on reframe and re-enlist. So for people in the workplace who are looking for a better job, you know, 64% of Americans and 80% of the worldwide workforce are disengaged at work. It's not working for them. Probably most of the people listening to this are having some struggle. Well, that's kind of heartbreaking. There's too many souls to crush. So we said, look, you know, the best place to get a better job and the easiest place to get a better job is from yourself. And we have four strategies for doing that. These are tactical strategies, you know, which are uh, reframe and re-enlist, number one. Number two, remodel. Number three, re-locate. And number four, reinvent. And my article is focusing in on strategy number one, reframe and re-enlist. Literally just change the narrative of what you are doing, which can transform your experience of what it is you're doing. Maybe you don't want a new job. You, don't, you can't even get a new job description. But you could have a different point of view about what it is that you are doing. And a whole lot of people in a post-hybrid work environment, and, and as we're starting to come out of the, the pandemic, it may be the same job, but my point of view has changed. So it's time to reframe and re-enlist. So that reframe is write a different story. That's a, it's a specific bite-sized tool. On the dashboard, I do that dashboard tool, and I kind of go, well, I am experiencing a life feels a little flat, feels a little boring. Well, okay, maybe I need more play. But at one point, literally, I noticed as a very small tool utilization, that, you know, I grew up with you get your work done first and then you can play. And I had that as a habit all my life, you know. And, and of course, when there's no such thing as the end of the day, you know, and you're getting emails from clients all over the world 24 by 7, I mean, the work kind of never ends. So I kept noticing that I wasn't playing at all until after dark because uh, I just worked straight through the day. I kind of got, I, I can't do this anymore. And my wife is bugging me because she goes, you know, you, you know, you're not pulling your end of the weight on taking care of the dogs. We have two dogs. And, you know, so I said, oh, what if I start doing dog walks in the middle of the afternoon when it's sunny? And I don't think of that as a chore. I, I frame that as, as play. 
you know, and I find some way to make that fun with the dogs. I've come up with some games. Already. So it's 20 minutes, 20 freaking minutes, you know, three times a week in the middle of the day, not after dark. I take the dogs out for a walk in the park across the street from my house. And it's transformative. You know, so that, those are small changes. And you start with those by identifying where the pain point is or where the change point wants to be. And then, frankly, you scan through the book and grab the right tool. On the large end, and I'll just tee this up, and I don't want to go too long on this one question, then you know, our, our centerpiece tool is the Odyssey plan. This is where I'm really coming up with a new a potential overhaul of my life, and that's a different starting point. So I do this Odyssey plan, which comes up with three completely different versions of the next five years of my life on a single piece of paper, and that what I get out of that Odyssey plan worksheet is not a decision to make. I get a shopping list of prototyping. Prototyping is a, a big part of design thinking. But as you were talking, I think you can even do this with those small changes as well, right? You see an issue, say at work, you do this dashboard stuff that's analysis and you try to figure out like, what is it that I, that brings me joy at work? And what is right. it that de-energizes me? Then right. you start, then that from, once you have that idea, that information, you can start generating ideas on how you could you know, keep your job, but do less of the stuff that you don't like and more of the stuff that really drives you. And then you can come up with a prototype and say, come to your boss, hey boss, I'd like to try this out. Can we give it a shot? And he might say, yes. And it, you, you, you run with it and maybe it works great. If it doesn't, okay, you tried. Yeah. It's, uh, and so first of all, briefly on prototyping, which is, which is a big deal for us in the design thinking world. And by prototype, we mean a specific thing. We don't mean what a lot of people mean, which, by the way, is totally valid, too. It's just different, which I consider a late-stage engineering prototype. If your prototype's job is to prove that the thing you've developed really works right before you go visit it on the end user, then you're doing an engineering prototype. Very important thing to do, not what I'm doing in design. So the, the, the question the prototype is addressing is the critical concern. So if the question your prototype is addressing is, hey, does this work? then you, what that means is you hope it does, which means you hope you're done. You hope this is it. Well, when we're in design and iterating our way to a solution, we absolutely know for sure when we start that this isn't it because we're working on something we never saw before. So the question of a design prototype is, what am I trying to learn? What do I want to know more about? So the reason you have failure immunity when you do prototype design in a design thinking manner is the only purpose of that prototype is to learn something. It doesn't matter if it quote fails, meaning it's not going to become the product. It's not going to become the decision of your next life design. That's not the issue. It's just, did I learn something? So in life design, I mean, you can think about how would I prototype a product? Like when I was the mouse product manager for Apple, you know, a million years ago, I had a box full of 130 mice under my desk, you know? And so I know what a prototype product looks like. Well, what's a prototype life look like? Well, it looks like two things. It's a conversation or an experience. I go talk to people who are already having the kind of life I'm having. The psychological term for that is surrogation. In fact, Dan uh, Gilbert at Harvard will dis has research that shows that surrogation, talking to other people, is a superior form of discernment insight gathering than is research. You know, read all the Google reports versus go talk to a couple of people. Talking to a couple of people is a lot better. So we, we believe go go talk to people. And then the second thing is try stuff. Get a ride along, get some experience. So before, by the way, you come up with a prototype idea, you don't go ask your boss. You just go do it. You just go start trying stuff and you come back maybe later on like, hey, I've done, I've done this thing 10 times. It worked pretty well. What do you think? Because most of the small changes people want to make, you don't need permission. Just go for it. We're going to take a quick break for your words from our sponsors. 
Valentine's Day is coming up, and if you're looking for a gift for that special someone in your life, check out Urban Stems. Urban Stems delivers modern bouquets, unique gifts, and stylish plants next day nationwide. They make it a priority to work directly with Rainforest Alliance certified farms and believe that a hands-on approach is the best way to guarantee only the freshest flowers are picked every day. Their Valentine's Day collection is curated with romance and friendship in mind. Every bouquet is designed in-house and on-trend. Every Urban Stems delivery includes a personalized note for your recipient, thoughtfully designed packaging, and a 100% happiness guarantee. Their bouquets range in flower variety from seasonal favorites like lilies and tulips to the go-to favorites like roses. Urban Stems also offers dried bouquets for a long-lasting unique gift for Valentine's Day. Take your pick from a variety of bouquets, plants, gifts, and floral subscription options at urbanstems.com. Shop at urbanstems.com and use promo code MANLINESS15 for 15% off your purchase plus free shipping. That's urbanstems.com, promo code MANLINESS15 for 15% off your purchase and free shipping. Whether it's stress, a demanding morning schedule, or trouble sleeping, we all know that sometimes life keeps you up. And trying to conquer the day after a night of tossing and turning is not so easy. Now you can get the sleep you deserve with ZQuil Pure Z's Melatonin Gummies. ZQuil Pure Z's Melatonin Gummies are designed to help you fall asleep naturally with no next day grogginess. Made at an optimal level of melatonin combined with a proprietary blend of other botanicals like chamomile and lavender, ZQuil Pure Z's Melatonin Gummies help to regulate your sleep cycle instead of just knocking you out. They're non-habit forming and work with your body to help you get the sleep you need. And to top it off, they come in a great tasting wild berry vanilla flavor. So I've been using ZQuil Pure Z's Melatonin Gummies for the past month now. Really have enjoyed it. I've used melatonin in the past to help me fall asleep when I've had trouble falling asleep. I like the Pure Z's Melatonin Gummies because, well, it comes in a gummy format. And who does not like gummies? The botanical blend helps you feel nice and relaxed, drift off to sleep. And the next day... Don't feel groggy. Check out ZQuil Pure Z's Melatonin Gummies and the full line of Pure Z Sleep Aids to start sleeping soundly today. And now back to the show. Okay, gotcha. But on those big changes, that's when prototyping will come in particularly handy because you're, 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 like you said, you think you might have a solution based on this information you have, but you probably don't. So you prototype to figure out, well, is this a viable option? So let's say you're thinking, I want to... I want to start a completely new career. Right. Cause then you feel like, well, I, I, cause it, in on paper, it looks good. It's like, well, it has all the things that, that in, I feel like engages me, but you really, you really don't know until you actually do something. So you said two ways you can do that to figure out is talk to people and then come up with, try it. Try it. So I, I think yeah. to talk to th- people with their career, I think that the people I've heard about, you know, just interviews, they're not like job interviews. They're sort of informational interviews where you just talk, tell me, tell me about your job. Tell me what you do. That's one, totally. that's one type of prototyping. It's a huge one. And by the way, interesting, we were about to go on TV for a, a live talk show in Canada a couple of years ago. And of course the show got behind and, and the assistant producer grabs me behind the camera and Bill and I are standing right there and he goes, oh, Hey Dave, we're, um, we're behind. We need you to have the book in a sentence. Okay. And I said, dude, <laughs> you know, we're Stanford instructors. Neither of us, me especially are known as I've already proven here. Uh, for short answers to complex questions. I don't think you can get a 280-page book in a sentence. And he goes, well, then you're off the air. And I said, give me a minute. Um, and so it wasn't one sentence but because it, it's four, but it's only 10 words. So if your readers haven't got time to read the book, here it is. Right? Just get a Post-it note out. And everything you need to know, about 90% of what you need to know is get curious, talk to people, try stuff, tell your story. Four steps. Get curious, talk to people, try stuff tell your story. And the hint in that, by the way, is two out of four of the four-step simplified process are prototyping. Talk to people and try stuff are prototyping. And the talk to people is absolutely crucial because you got to talk to people to get to try stuff. 
And the talk to people is what used to be called the informational interview, what we call the life design prototype conversation. And you're absolutely right. It's critically important that it is not a job interview. It is not a transactional interview where you're not asking for money, a referral, the job. You know, what you're asking for is the story. It's all about the story. You know, hey, Brad, are you hiring any more interviewers? No. I mean, nine times out of 10, when you're asking a transactional question, the person you're talking to doesn't even have the thing you want, like a job, much less if they did, are they going to give it to you? And if you do ask that question, the brain you're going to get from the person listening to you is a judging brain. Hmm, if I had a job, would I give it to this guy? That's a judging brain. I don't want that brain. I want a collaborative brain. I want an open-minded, you know, innovative brain. Like, hey, Brett, turns out you and I have this incredible shared interest. You think you're really interesting. I think you're really interesting. We agree on that. Why don't we get together and talk about how interesting you are? Would that work for you? I'm not sure I'd actually say it quite that sycophantically, but not far from. And that conversation people are willing to have. So that's the conversation you get. And literally, psychologically, we've learned that, you know, hearing other people's stories is an experience. Your body will actually be, you know, because we're really social animals. You know, we really do connect to each other. And I can learn a lot from you. It's not the information. It's that my person is experiencing your person's experience through this story. That's what's really going on. We call it harmonic resonance. You're looking for where the resonance lies. And then you go off and try to have some experiences. But you start with storytelling. And that's, by the way, prototyping is crucially important in all the way from tiny changes to huge ones. And Bill and I talk about the set the bar low and clear it method. We're kind of like, well, uh, you know, life's hard. I mean, let's just take a small step and see what goes. You know, so give yourself a chance to succeed. So prototyping is always important. It's just that on the big change stuff, prototyping is particularly important to avoid the downside of not having prototyped. You know, I've had it with this corporate crap. I want to I want to start a restaurant. I love Tuscany. I'm going to start the most amazing Tuscan restaurant you ever saw. You know, and we know a woman who did this and off she goes. You know, and she canvasses these areas and she buys a, a decrepit deli and she totally remodels this thing and she has a deli cafe and she opens it to great fanfare and da 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 and she's successful except she hates it. Turns out running a restaurant and going to Tuscany are not the same thing at all. You know, she has to cook the same recipe over and over again because everybody loves the food. And she's and she most of the staff are, you know, entry-level high school kids and they quit about every six minutes. So she's constantly interviewing people that don't want to work for her anyway. And like, who ordered this? Well, you could prototype that experience much less expensively. So when you're making big changes, prototypes are crucially important to avoid the problem that happens when you didn't know you'd made an assumption. Your prototypes help you learn things. They help you uncover hidden assumptions. They allow you to sneak up on the future very inexpensively. And by the way, they're fun. Well, here's a question that popped up in my head while you're talking about these interviews, these inform- we'll call them informational interviews is what I, yeah. I call them. How do you how do you ask the questions so you get the full picture? Because I've done this in the past. When I was in law school or thinking about going to law school, I did some informational interviews with with attorneys. Yeah, and I had no clue what I was supposed to be asking, and I, I feel like I ended up asking questions that were it basically gave a positive spin on the on the profession of being an attorney. I didn't actually get what it, I think it was really like. I didn't figure that out until I interned as an attorney, it was actually in the office right. and hearing the, the water cooler chatter and interacting with. So how do you, how do you, how do you go into an information interview where you get 
like the good and like you get the, the, the whole thing warts and all. Right. And again, I don't think it's necessarily you're looking for the dirt. You I'm know, not looking not, for the, yeah, but, it's, if, but you're if people, looking. If people pick up, you've sort of got that investigative reporter right. thing going on, you're going to out them, then it's not going to work either. No, but you're looking so, for like, you. okay, well, does this actually something I would enjoy? Is Or is, is right. he missing something that I, he's not talking about something that I that's important for me to know? Well, and that's interesting. I think you just got after something. What, what And I don't know what you did that first time before the internship, but if what you were asking about was what was on your mind, that's not that interesting. What's interesting is what's on my mind. And so like, will I like this? That's, you know, let's say you're talking to me like, Hey Dave, you made the shift from high tech into education. And, and, and I'm thinking, you know, is, so is, is curriculum planning, you know, and I'm worried about doing curriculum planning. So how hard is curriculum planning? You know, you know, you're solving your problem. I don't want to solve your problem. I'm not interested in your problem. What makes an informational interview work is you get me going on telling my story. So the questions you would ask Dave, uh, you know, I'm trying to understand the shift you made from, you know, high-tech product development and then management consulting into education. That's a pretty different domain. And it really is. Kind of goes, well, gee, how, how did that happen? And what, you know, and was that what you had in mind? You know, if you had to do over, what would you do differently? And what's the biggest surprise you've had while you're there? What, what was least like what you thought it was going to be? What have you learned since you've been doing this? You know, what's the fun part for you now? If you could change anything in front of you right now, now by the questions I'm asking now, you can ask anybody these questions, but they're all about them. And now if you do a really good job, you do all your homework up front. One of my counsels is never waste FaceTime. And I don't mean the Apple app. I mean the, the in-person, particularly in a post-pandemic world. Oh my God. You've got somebody live in person in front of you, physically in front of you. Do not waste FaceTime having the person you're talking to give you information you can read on a website. That means you're asking me to read to you. Right. Yeah. So you don't care enough to even do your homework. So do your homework, which also, by the way, anytime you read about people, you read about what they're doing, you can imagine what they're sweating with. Keep in mind, people talk about, you. I want to get a good snapshot of what's going on in this guy's life, or I want to get a good snapshot of what's happening at this company. That's, a, that's an inaccurate phrase. There are no snapshots because snapshots are stills. Life isn't a still. Life is very active. It's a movie. You want a video clip of what's really going on. Trust me, everybody in that organization is going to bed worrying about something. What keeps you up at night? If you had another $50,000 in your budget, what would you do with it? So there's lots of ways you can get into what is happening for them. And, you know, and they're interested in themselves. Everybody's favorite thing is themselves and what they're doing. So if you just go down that path, you're going to get them going. You know, and then by the way, what makes it really work? Here's the crucial thing to do before you even ask for one of these conversations. You got to actually be interested. See, step one is get curious. Get curious. Talk to people. Try stuff. Tell your story. If you're not actually curious, and if you go, oh, 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 so this is how you get a job. Okay, so I need to go act like I'm interested, and then he'll offer me a job, and you're faking it. Trust me, people will figure that out. It's, it's, don't waste your time. If you're not actually interested in talking to that person, if there's nothing about them you really would love to hear about if you had the chance, then don't bother them. Now, then you got to go curate some curiosity, but that's a different problem. Okay, so that's prototyping by having a conversation. But then there's also prototyping by having an experience. And one example of this is we had a futurist on the show earlier this year, and he had a, uh, this kind of idea of prototyping as well. And he was talking about people who were thinking about making a big move. Like they were saying, I, I want to leave the city and move to the country. 
but I don't know if that's a good fit for me. And he would say, okay, here's what you do. Rent an Airbnb for a week or two in the country and see how you like it. And that's a way to prototype. Absolutely. We did a, an experimental program with a big high-tech company. We did a, a bunch of workshops and I, I offered going back in and doing follow-ups. So we did small group follow-ups with these people. And I'm talking to some people about six months after a one-day seminar. And they're all doing prototypes and they're actually making progress you know, in their corporation. And one woman says, gosh, well, you know, I've really been thinking about relocating to, uh, to the Southwest. Albuquerque in particular. And I don't, you know, I can't, I just, I, I can't pull it off. It's too big a move. And I, I just don't know what to do, you know? And they said, well, once you go, they said, yeah, but you know, that would just be a vacation and that doesn't count. And thankfully the other people on the call, it was a Zoom call, about a dozen people, they'll be able to go, no, 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 that totally counts, Sarah. You should totally do that. And I said, absolutely. And here's the thing. I mean, go take a three-day weekend in Albuquerque but don't, you know, go to the resort and spend all your time in, in the art museums, you know, do some homework in advance, figure out where in Albuquerque people live neighborhood-wise would be the kind of place you might even want to live, get an Airbnb in that neighborhood, you know, think about what lifestyle you might want to have as an Albuquerquean and go move and become a full-time resident of Albuquerque for three days. And take a bunch of notes and then come home. Don't go have a vacation, for God's sake. No, 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 don't go do that. Go be a short-term, full-time resident. My wife and I developed that skill, by the way. It was fabulous. We, di we didn't take trips anymore. We just moved. We moved about seven times a year. And it's a mindset thing. And it's a huge prototype. So there's absolutely ways you can prototype, but you got to think about it. Gotcha. And I'm even taking it back to, we've talked a lot about work. But again, you can do this process of reframing and prototyping, even with small changes. If you say you're looking at your dashboard and you're thinking, well, I'm not getting enough for my like love. So with my family, say you want to spend more time with your kids, right? but I also need to exercise. Well, and it's not an either or. It doesn't have to be, like the reframe would be, well, it doesn't have to be you either spend time with your kids or you exercise. Right. You can reframe like, well, what can I do so I can do both at the same time? And then you start coming up with some different ideas and then you prototype and, and see what works and what doesn't work. Totally. So my, you know, Bill, my partner at Stanford, you know, was not getting much activity and, you know, he got into the 10,000 step thing. And then in another part, he and his wife who had lived in Menlo Park near Stanford and raised their kids there for a long, long time, decided they wanted the urban experience. So they start living in a rented condo while renting out their house. They're not going to sell yet. Up in San Francisco, by the way, that was years ago. They since, you know, moved full time, bought the condo they were renting and off they go. But nonetheless, while he's experimenting with that, he's noticing he's under exercising. So then he's, he's now trying to commute on the train, not in his car. And he goes, oh, he had been. And there's a little shuttle bus from Stanford that goes to the train station near the campus. And, and he'd been jumping on the shuttle bus and going in. And he goes, I know what I'll do. I'll schedule calls on my cell phone and I'll walk from the train station to the campus, about a mile and a half, two miles each way. And he didn't change his day. He didn't change his calendar necessarily. He reallocated some minutes that were normally sitting at his desk on the phone to walking down the street on the phone. And it was absolutely transformative. And so nothing else had to move. His exercise just went up a little bit. So there are lots of ways you can get stuff darn near for free. Right. But it just requires that reframing. That, that's, yep. that's a skill that you just have to keep practicing and practicing. And I think that yeah. one, one, of the, one of the big points, takeaways that I got from the book is don't get stuck on your first answer because you'll just keep on wanting to make that one thing work. And then you suddenly, you get like the invisible gorilla problem, right? Where you're just so focused totally. 
on counting the basketballs, you you miss the invisible gorilla. You know, and this, it's a really good point you're making, Brett, and I want to emphasize it because one of the problems with design thinking is it's too simple. I mean, I just said you can summarize our entire, you know, two books into 10 words. Get curious, talk to people, try stuff, tell your story. And that's true, but it's easily underperceived. So on this prototyping thing as a way to learn your way forward and to iterate until you come up with actually what is a solution, because it goes, you know, prototype, ideate, prototype, test. Oh, I thought prototyping was testing. No, no, no. Prototyping is the developmental iteration process of inventing the thing you're actually going to do. And then when you've got what you're pretty sure it really is, then you test it. Does it really work well enough to keep? That's a completely different question that, Jay, well, how, how, how might this work at all? You know, maybe we do it this way, do it that way. And so when you're prototyping, you know you have to iterate on multiple aspects of what you're working on. This is such a different way to think for most people that it is sneaky. So uh, I won't use exact names. If there was, you know, an organization, I mean, a lot of the growth of what the Life Design Lab at Stanford is doing these days is not teaching more and more courses. It's we have a core set of three courses and we do some key programming, but it's helping other people do what they're already doing a little differently. So we participate in new student orientation a little bit differently. We we participate in this program over here and we'll train people how to do what they're doing a different way because it has more life design implication than they used to imagine. And there was an organization on the campus, a big one, that does a very important thing for a lot of students that is a natural partner of ours. And so we put together a program and partnered with them for over a year. And we're almost a year into helping them develop some new stuff. And we had a team of people we were collaborating with. And our people were sitting down together with their people once again on this mixed team. And one of our people said, okay, so, you know, well, you know, so how about this prototype for this, you know, this aspect of that program? Well, let's go try this and see what we learn about the following question. And one of the, you know, home organization team members who'd been working with these people for darn near a year said, well, okay, we could try that, but what if it doesn't work? And then you know, the designer said, well, of course it's not going to work. And, <laughs> and the guy goes, well, then why the hell will we do it? She says, because we're trying to learn about it. We're not done yet. And literally walk out of the meeting, we're slapping ourselves in the front going, oh my God, we've been saying prototyping with this guy for 10 months and he still doesn't get it. So we started changing our language. We now talk about prototypes versus pilots. A pilot is your first implementation of, you know, a pro particularly program or an activity that you really think might actually work. You know, it's like your alpha test and your beta test. But before you're piloting, you're truly prototyping. Prototyping is just to learn your way forward. Piloting is starting to actually practice what the thing might be. So we had to actually differentiate a word just to get them to understand what we meant by prototype. Uh, yeah, this is a good point because you, you have this chapter in the book about becoming uh, immune to failure. And it, I think it, what it all comes down to is that mindset shift where, okay, when you're prototyping, the prototype isn't you're, you're hoping this thing works. The prototype, the goal of prototyping is, well, what can I learn from this? Exactly. Yeah. But I, I mean, I, I think people might say, okay, I understand that intellectually, but like, how do you do that? Like whenever you, how would you say, you, you, you try a new job in your company, right? And like, this is a prototype right. and it doesn't work out. You learn that it's like, well, it's not a, it still feels like failure. Like it's hard not to 
I mean, is, is that something just t- with well, time? Well, part of it is, again, the, this is why we say set the bar low and clear it. Okay. And a good prototype is cheap, fast, and teaches you something. And so if people are learning their way forward and when the thing doesn't work because it was a learning experience, not a, a launched you know, activity for performance, and that failure is costly. Now, the reason you're failure immune as a designer is not because you didn't fail. It's that you're immune to failure because failure's job was to be educational and the failure didn't cost you hardly anything at all. So what you're looking for is cheap stuff to learn. And the question is, gosh, what do I like to learn more about? Oh, that's interesting. How does that work? Now, how can you learn more about that empirically out there in the field, so to speak, in ways that don't cost you much in time, exposure, you know, political capital, money, you know, so if your prototypes are costly, they're not good prototypes. Gotcha. So set the bar low. Set the bar low, and and don't and don't don't be too picky about where you learn something. And again, imagine this process never ends; it's continually no. going on, right? Yeah. So even when you I'm, think I'm you have an answer, I'm giving a talk answer. at yeah. the town hall in Seattle. Seattle is a town hall, three hundred odd people, and we're talking. And I finished the talk, you know, and the some guy up in the you know the bleachers raises his hands. and kind of goes, um, "Hey, Dave." Um, so this prototyping thing, um, um, so, um, you could, you could do that with like anything, huh? And I go, yeah. And he goes, wow. I go, yeah, okay, cool. So come on, he raises his hand again and kind of like, you know, um, he goes, Dave, um, you, you, you could do this. You could do this all the time. Right. And I go, yeah, that's right. <laughs> We're good. He goes, yeah, great. Thanks. You know, come on, raise his hand again. I go, dude, what? And, and he kind of goes, Dave. On anything, all the time. This is a really big deal, isn't it? I gotta go. Now nah, you got it. Yeah, it's a really big deal. It's it's a. This is why we talk about the designer mindset. I mean, it's not a religion, but we're talking about a way. It's a way of being in the world. It actually believes anthropologically that you're a growing entity, and the world is an interesting place. And let's go try it out. This, you know, what this reminds me of. This reminds me. Have you heard of the OODA loop from John Boyd? He was a military strategist, and he came up with this idea called the OODA loop, which stands for Observe, Orient, Decide, Act. Yes, right. Yeah, and he says this is that's like whoever can you know do the OODA loop the fastest in a battle wins. But he he also kind of saw it. This is a, this is a meta learning model, right? This is how we all yeah. learn. And I, the, this process of prototyping is like that's observing and orienting, and then you make a decision, then you act, and then you just it's always going on. Yeah, because I mean, the, the, you know, a lot of people are trying to get it right, and they're inadvertently walking around with a presuppositionally engineering mindset. Like there is a right answer, there is a perfect, uh, there is a best me, there is a best way to do this, and the answer is no. That's crap most of the time. I mean, there are some things that have right answers, but it's a really short list, frankly. And so the OODA loop is is an orientation to reality. And if mil, you know, you know, no no strategy for battle survives the first contact with the enemy. You know, it's a classic line in military school and a line that Bill represents all the time. By the way, I've done a lot of work with the military. I've done a lot of work. I've done trainings for both the U.S. Olympic Committee and with a group called Elite Meat, who serves about to retire Navy SEALs, Green Berets, you know, Army Rangers. So if you were one of the finest athletes in the world, and now you're not, and if you are one of the most proficient soldiers in the world, and now you're not, holy cow, what do you do now? And so reframing, you know, the skills that they got to be the world's best 
at one particular narrow thing and then reframing that into another space is something we have a lot of experience with and it works great. Well, Dave, this has been a great conversation. Where can people go to learn more about the book and your work? Well, of course, the, the books are on Amazon and there's now three of them really too. So it's Designing Your Life. And as of right now, Designing Your New Work Life. We put out Designing Your Work Life about a year and a half ago. We just updated it. It's on pre-sale right now. So skip the old book. So Designing Your Life and Designing Your New Work Life. The website is really simple. It's the first book's title with a dot in it. So Designing Your Dot Life, all small letters. And that'll take you to our website, which has all kinds of resources. And then lastly, gee, can I take the class? We hear, can I take the class all the time? And now the answer is finally, yeah, you can. Uh, you go to creativelive, creativelive.com. So creativelive, no punctuation, .com, and enter Designing Your Life, and bada bing, bada boom. There you go. 21 online modules taught in real time in an interactive setting with Dave and Bill. You're getting the same real stuff as if you came to our all-day intensive nine-hour, one-day workshop. And the last I looked, it was on sale for 29 bucks. By the way, it was originally the most expensive class on the side. I think it was three or $400. And now they're going to blow it out with volume. So it's a good deal. So yeah, creativelive.com or designingyour.life and we're good to go. Fantastic. Well, Dave Evans, thanks for your time. It's been a pleasure. Brett, what a blast. Thanks, man. My guest today was Dave Evans. He's the co-author of the book, Designing Your Life, also Designing Your New Work Life, both available on amazon.com and bookstores everywhere. You can find more information about his work at his website, designingyour.life. Also check out our show notes at aom.is slash prototype life, where you can find links to resources, where you can delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the AOM Podcast. Make sure to check out our website at artofmanliness.com where you find our podcast archives as well as thousands of articles written over the years about pretty much anything you think of. And if you'd like to enjoy ad-free episodes of the AOM Podcast, you can do so on Stitcher Premium. Head over to stitcherpremium.com, sign up, use code MANLINESS at checkout for a free month trial. Once you're signed up, download the Stitcher app on Android iOS and you can start enjoying ad-free episodes of the AOM Podcast. And if you haven't done so already, I'd appreciate if you take one minute to use a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. It helps out a lot. And if you've done that already, thank you. Please consider sharing the show with a friend or family member who you'd think would get something out of it. As always, thank you for the continued support. Until next time, it's Brett McKay. Remind to only listen to the A1 podcast, but put what you've heard into action. Mm-hmm.